chapter 4. Continuing our study in the book of James. And just FYI, this is the last message in James uh, for the next few weeks. Next week, I'm going to jump into a Christmas message um, as we start to dive into um, December. And we will pick up James um, after, after that. And so today we are going to be in James chapter 4. And let me ask you a question. Um, we're entering December. Um, what, what, you, what do we usually do in December approaching a new year? Really? There we go. New Year's resolutions. I'm like, there's got to be someone who would know that. We start making New Year's resolutions, okay? We start planning, hey, um, here's what I want to do in the new year. Here's how, where are you going, man? Cord just following you. But we start saying, hey, here's what I want to do in the new year. Here's what I, I want to accomplish in the new year. And, and so it, there, there's, there's a lot of goals that we start setting for a new year. And, and, you know, but think about it. This is life just in general. We just, it's goals and plans, isn't it? All right. Um, those of you who are in high school, um, you, you know, maybe you're a junior or a senior in high school, you're already setting plans for what? College. All right. Or maybe it's, well, I'm not going to college. I'm going to work or I'm going to go in the military. You already start making plans. OK, um, when you get married or when you're a young adult, you're already starting. You, you start thinking forward to getting married or when you're married, you start thinking forward to having kids, you know, or when you start to, you know, for those of you who have kids and they start to grow up, you start looking forward to empty nesting. I, I love empty nesting. You know, kids are, it's like, hey, this is nice, all right? But, but then you start to get to your four, late 40s and 50s, and then what do you start planning? Retirement, okay? The reality is um, life is lived for the future. We're always making plans. We're setting goals. Well, this is what James is going to address in verses 13 through 17. He's addressing this idea of making plans and setting goals. Um, but what we're going to see is when it comes to making plans, setting goals, looking to the future, we have to be smart and make smart plans. And I'm going to be honest, um, I think our version of smart planning is different than what James is going to reveal to us. And so let me read our text today. And then we're going to dive into this thing. James chapter 4, starting with verse 13. He says, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town, spend a year there, and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, If the Lord wills, we will live and do this or do that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. So, Father, we thank you for your word. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you'll open the eyes of our hearts to not just hear this message, but to put it into practice. Lord, your word tells us here in James, don't just merely listen to the word, but be a doer of it. And so, Holy Spirit, you've got to work in us. You've got to change our minds, convict our hearts, and challenge our wills. And I just pray now that you would just let this word just come alive within us. In Jesus' name, amen. 
All right, today I want to talk about smart planning. And so I'm going to look at three things about what smart planning does. And here's the first thing. And make notes, have a, an outline, use a notebook. But here's the first thing that I would like you to write down. Smart planning recognizes the uncertainties of life, holds plans loosely, and seeks God's will. You see, that's a little bit different than what I would, you would probably think what smart planning is. But biblical smart planning is um, I, I, I recognize the uncertainties of life, I hold my plans loosely, and I pray for God's will. And this is where James is going in this first point. So again, there in verse 13, he says, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. So he's talking about people who are setting goals, who are making plans. Okay, he, he, He's like, some of you are saying, hey, we're going to go, go to, to this town and, or to this town and, and we're going to spend some time there and we're spend maybe a year there and we're going to do business and we're going to make some money. How many of you know he's not saying that's wrong? Okay, There's nothing wrong with making plans. There's nothing wrong with making plans to say, you know what, um, Let's go, to, let's, let's go travel here. Let's, let's, let's open a business and let's do this. Let, let's, there's nothing wrong with making plans and setting goals. That is not what he has an issue with. The problem that these people have that James is addressing is there's an underlying issue that they're not addressing. And there's a couple of underlying issues that, that they're not addressing. And I, if we're honest, we don't address and one underlying issue is this, is that they are not recognizing the uncertainty of life. And that's why he says there in verse 14, he says, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. He's like, listen, you're making all these plans. You, you want to establish a business. You want to travel. You want to go to this city. You want to sell. You want to buy. You want to make money. You're making all these plans. And you're setting a goal for a year out. You're looking at the future and go, hey, here's where I want to be. Here's what I want to do. He goes, but you don't know what tomorrow's bringing. Now, is he saying don't make plans? Is he just saying, well, you just, you just live every, you, you don't make a plan for tomorrow. You know, no, make plans. Okay. It's okay to make a plan. It's okay to ask yourself, where do I want, where do I see myself in 10 years? Or five years. What, what, what do I want to do? For, how many of you know it's a good idea to plan for retirement? You don't just show up at 70 and go, well, now what do I do? All right? It's okay to plan and save money for the future. It's okay if you're 18 to go, what do I want to do with my life? Okay? What James is saying, though, is don't be making your plans without understanding that you don't have tomorrow. Okay? Sometimes, let me ask you, um, how much time do you just spend thinking about tomorrow? Think about that for a moment. You, 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 you sit there and think about, what do I have to do at work tomorrow? You, um, how much time do you spend thinking about the vacation that you have planned? How much time do you, now I know none of you do, I do, um, do you ever stress and worry about tomorrow? You ever stress and worry about literally things that have to happen in six months? Okay. 
How much time do we invest in of our day now thinking about tomorrow? Worrying about tomorrow, stressing about tomorrow, planning for tomorrow. When in the reality is, raise your hand, do you have tomorrow? No. None of us are guaranteed tomorrow. You see, that's why Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15, just make note of these. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15 says, Be very careful then how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time. You see, Paul is telling us in Ephesians 5 there, he's like, listen, don't be just looking out there so often and failing to see right here. Okay, don't be so worried about the future when you've got a present to be living in. He's like, you got to be making the most use of your time right now, today. If God gives you an opportunity to witness to someone, are you going to take it? If God gives you an opportunity to serve somewhere, will you take it today? But how often, you know what, the, you know what um, Satan's favorite word is? Anybody? Tomorrow. Because God wants us to live for today. He wants us to focus on the now and make plans for the future, but don't get so fixed on the future that we don't live in the now. But Satan says, hey, don't worry about the now because you've got what? Tomorrow. Don't worry about getting saved now. You can do that tomorrow. Don't worry about investing in, in God's economy. You can do that tomorrow. You got to take care of yourself now. You see, the enemy wants to convince us, don't worry about living and taking care of now. Because you've got tomorrow. You know, in the book of Psalm, chapter 90, verse 12, he says, teach us to number our days so that we may get a heart of wisdom. Number our days. But how often are we so worried and caught up in numbering our years? Okay? Again, it's not about that we don't look forward to things. It's not to say we don't make plans for college. We don't make plans for marriage. It's not to say we don't make plans for retirement. But listen, if all my, if all my life is about what's to come, and that's what I'm fixated on, guess what I'm missing out on today? Losing opportunities in today. And so we need to ask the Lord to help me to number my day now. And so James is hitting the underlying issue with these Christians here in his time that they were so caught up about what they wanted to do that they were missing out on the fact that they weren't understanding and recognizing the uncertainty of life. And that uncertainty of life is simply this. You're not promised tomorrow. In fact, you're not promised the next minute. Right now, at this moment, God could say what? Give me back my breath. We're not granted tomorrow. But the other underlying issue is this. And it's found in verse 16. Or I'm sorry, um, in verse 15. He says, instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or do that. You see, the other underlying issue is this. 
and I think a lot of us are here, is that they were making all these plans. Hey, I want to go live in this city. I want to go do that. I want to make money. I want to have this business. And, and they're, they're making all these plans. Um, but guess who they're leaving out of the equation? God. They're saying, here's what I want to do. Here's where I want to go. Here's how I want to live. Here's what I want to make. Here's how much money I want to make. Here's how, here's, it's, here's what I, I, I. And he's like, listen, not saying you don't make plans, but when you do plan, make sure you have one very important element in that. God, is this your will? God, I want your will done for my life. Now, a couple weeks ago, when I was talking about here in the book of James, if you remember, I said, and I asked the question, um, are you ever afraid to pray, God, your will be done? Because like I said in that, that message a couple weeks ago, I said, so many times we want something, we want to do something, and we don't want God to get in the way. You know, well, this is, I mean, I really want to go to that college. I really want that job. I really want to retire at 55. I really want, I really want, want, and God may go, you know what? I need to make a tweak. And we don't want to pray. God, your will be done. Because the scary part is, well, what if I do pray, God, your will be done, and God makes a change? You see, this is why it's so important for you and I to come to the place that we can live with our lives holding very loosely to my plans. Your plans need to be written in sand. You ever go to the beach and, and, and the waves are coming in? And, and, and you, 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 maybe you put your foot in the sand and you take it out or you write something in the sand and that water comes up. What happens to what you just did in the sand? It's gone. But have you ever, um, if, you, if, you, if you try to write something in stone, it's much harder to change, isn't it? See, a lot of us, what we want to do is write our plans in what? Stone. We need to leave him in the sand. You see, we need to understand that um, our plans are subject to change. You know, Paula flew out to San Diego to see Breck at, oh my gosh, it was early. I mean, it was like, I think her, her flight left Moline like at six or something like that. So she flew from, from Moline to Chicago, from Chicago to of San Diego. And um, she was supposed to be in San Diego at, at 11.45 San Diego time. And her and Breck were all excited about, hey, we're getting, she's getting there early, jumpstart our Thanksgiving day. So Paula flies her flight from, from Moline, took off, and she's on her way. She gets to Chicago. Next thing I know, I get a text. I'm delayed for four hours. And I go, did they give you a reason why? She's like, nope. How many of you know life is just like that? All right? You, I, mean, I mean, the airline with no reason can go, you are delayed or flight canceled. And you can go, why? And they can just go, because. 
and give you no reason. And so um, how many of you understand that if you want to um, not die in an airport, you've got to relax? Okay, you have got to hold that schedule loosely because it, how many of you know you have no control on an airport? That, that flight, you have, you can't go, nope, I, nope, I'm taken off. You have no control of it. You are at the mercy of the airline. You have no control of your plans. Understand that. And this is why it's so important to, when, when James says, when he says what you ought to do is say, if it's the Lord's will. Now, when he says that you ought to say, if it's the Lord's will, I don't think he's saying that every time you make a plan, okay, God, if it's your will, I got to go buy groceries if it's your will. God, we really want to make plans to go out to eat on Friday if it's your will. I don't think that's what James is saying. I think when he says what you ought to say is it is an attitude. It's a mindset that my attitude is, God, my plans are ultimately your plans. And if you want to change them, I'm okay. Because let me ask you, how many of you know um, people don't, and I've said this before, people don't get bent out of shape if God changes your plans for the good. If God decided to change your plans and make you a millionaire, how many of you be like, oh, great. What was God thinking making me a millionaire? I hate, I'm not going to church anymore. I don't think that's happening. But how many people's plans have changed when the diagnosis from the doctor comes back? And it's not good. How many how many plans have changed when the job is lost? How many plans changed when we were all celebrating in December, New Year's Eve of 2019? Looking forward to 2020. Nobody saw what was coming a few months later. And from March of 2020, all of us, our lives have been altered. Everyone on the world. I mean, Paul and I, we had plans to go down to Florida for vacation with some friends. And we were all excited. And those were next. For two reasons. One, because of COVID. And also we get a phone call. I think I have cancer from our daughter. See, our life changed. Our plans changed radically 2020. Now, here's the thing, and this is why it's so important for you and I to live holding our plans very loosely under the umbrella, God, your will be done. Because if I, if I can receive good things from God, and that is it, and if God decides to change my direction, change my plan to where he allows the hurt to come in, the pain to come in, the suffering to come into my life, and if I can't come under his will, guess what happens? Thank you, God, but no thank you. I am done with you. If that's the way God is, I don't need that God. 
You say God is loving. I don't think so. You sing about God being good. No, he's not. Why? Because I can't accept his will. Because we want to dominate my will above his will. And as long as I want to make my will preeminent, I will always be angry at God. But when I can come to the place to say, God, your will precedes my will. God, your will is higher than my will. Your plans are more than my plans. So then that way, when I'm going, and again, doesn't mean we stop planning. It doesn't mean I stop, don't stop. I, I keep planning for retirement. I keep planning for my education. I keep planning my marriage. But I always leave the door open, at least cracked, to say, God, if you choose to change it, I'm okay. Question you've got to ask yourself is, are you there? Or do you get mad at God every single time he changes something in your life? You see, James is saying you need to recognize the uncertainties of life. You've got to hold your plans loosely, and you need to seek the will of God. Here's the second thing about smart planning. It's this. Smart planning recognizes the brevity of life and lives with eternity in view. It recognizes the brevity or the shortness of life. And it lives with eternity in view. So these people are making plans to go here, to go there, today, tomorrow, for a year. We're making money. We're gonna, we're, that's what we're going to do. But he's like, but you don't know what tomorrow will bring. And then right after that, he asks a question. What is your life? Now, this is something I have said about James, that he was the preacher of questions. James, and, 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 and this is like about the 15th or 16th question he has asked in this book. All right, He's always just asking questions. Hey, um, if you've got works, if you say you have faith without works, um, it's show me your faith without works. Just show me. And he's, he's asked all kinds of questions. And now here he is again asking a question. What is your life? And he wants somebody to ask. Well, I'll tell you what my life is, James. My life is, man, I'm a businessman. My life is I'm, I'm, I'm a mom or I'm a dad. My, my life is I'm a soccer mom. My life is, you know, and he, we can give all kinds of answers. What is my life? But he gives the very quick answer to what is your life. And here's the reality of your life and my life. And James says this. He goes, here's what your life is. You are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. A mist. You know, take a, a bottle of Febreze spray and just go. It just mists. And then it's gone. Your life and my life is nothing but a breath. It's nothing but a wave crashing into the ocean. It is here for a moment. Now, when he says that your life is like a breath, he's actually, it's, it's a comparison, literally. He's comparing that your life compared to eternity is a mist and then it's gone. You know, if, if we could kind of think of it um, that, like, you know, we have, as humans, traveled to the moon compared to the universe. That's like this, 
um, my life compared to like me traveling to the moon, here's my life. So if I don't know, 98,000 miles or something like that. So if my life compared to like walking to the moon, there it is. That's quick. That's it. Your life compared to eternity is that step. It's a snap. Here and then done. And James is wanting us to recognize that. In the book of Psalm, chapter 39, verses 4 through 6, David, he prays this prayer. He says, O Lord, make me know my end and what is the measure of my days. Let me know how fleeting I am. Behold, you have made my days a few hand breaths. I am, am, and my lifetime is nothing before you. Surely all mankind stands as a mere breath. Surely man goes about as a shadow. Think about those descriptions. We're a hand breath. Man's life is but a breath. We are like a moving shadow. Okay? How fast are those things? That's your life compared to God. Your life in eternity. Compared to, that's your life. But how many of us live with the mindset that eternity is the second fiddle to the here and now? You see, smart planning says life is short. So I need to make the most of it for God. Because when this life is done, I don't get a second chance. I don't have any more time. But presumptuous living, foolish living says, nope, I live for the here and now. We think that this life is secure. We think that this life is all there is, and we don't live with eternity in view. You see, here's the thing. These people were living with, and I think so many of us do this, we, we live with the future in mind. We live with and say, hey, here's where I want to go. Here's where the, I want to go to this place. I want to go to this place. And the reality is we can sit there and make plans. I want to go to this place, and I want to go over here to this place. But the reality is, in a blink of an eye, we can end up in the place of eternity. These people, like we, we talk about time. We want to spend this much time here. We want to spend so much time doing this. And we look at the future all the time. But the reality is, in a moment's eye, in the blink of an eye, we can be in the timeless eternity. You see, that's why we cannot live just for the here and now. We have to live with eternity in mind, but making the most of the here and now. Does that make sense? We don't think that this is all there is. This is just a warm-up for eternity. And if my mind, if my eyes are just set on the here and now, I'm missing out on eternity. I have to have my eyes set on eternity while living in the here and now and making the most of what God wants me to do. In one commentary I read, a gentleman, a gentleman by the name of Roger Ellsworth says it this way. He says, don't count on your time, it is passing. Don't count on your possessions, they will soon belong to someone else. Don't count on your career, it will soon be over. But count on this, eternity is rapidly approaching. And only those who have taken refuge in Jesus Christ can face it. You see the brevity of life. Your life, whether it is 
30 years, 50 years, 70, 90, 102. It is short compared to eternity. We think that, wow, 75 years, that's such a long time. On this side of heaven, it may seem like, an, like forever. But compared to forever, it is nothing. And that's why you can't waste the now. That's why the Bible says, if, like today, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, don't wait till tomorrow. That's why the Bible says that today is the day of salvation. Because you don't have tomorrow. Your, the life, you, your life is short. You don't have the promise of your next breath. You don't have the promise of the next day. You have the promise of right now. And that's why today, if you don't know Christ, you need to come to that place where you're like, I'm a sinner. And my sin is going to separate me from Christ for all eternity. And I can't put that off and wait till tomorrow because I don't have it but I have this moment. That's why if you're, if you're not taking advantage as a believer in Christ and you're, not, and you're wasting your energy and all your efforts on just worldly stuff and cultural stuff and like you, you spend all your time outside the church and you don't have time for the church, you need to rethink that. Because, listen, you're going to be judged for what you have done as a believer in Jesus Christ. And if you have spent no time and energy for Christ here, you don't have tomorrow to wait for it. You need to start taking advantage of your time now. So I would encourage you, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, where are you plugged in at? How are you serving? How are you witnessing? Who are you connecting with? Get involved, get plugged in, because why? You don't have the promise of tomorrow. Well, Jim, I'll wait till next month. You know, it's so busy in December. I, I've, got, I've kind of made that a New Year's resolution. Guess what? Resolve it now that you may not have the new year to come to. Resolve it now to say, I need to get plugged in now. And then lastly, the third thing about smart planning, and it's this. Smart planning recognizes the boastfulness of life and knows God is in control. Smart planning recognizes the boastfulness of life and knows that God is in control. In verse 16, he says, as it is, you boast in your arrogance, all such boasting is evil. Now, what does he mean there? It's almost like he's taking a, a left turn here and he, he's like, what do you... He goes from talking about, you know, them making plans to the uncertainty of life and to the brevity of life. And he's like, now you're boasting. It's really this. When we make plans without God, what we're doing is putting trust in self. And they must have got to the point where they were actually boasting about the idea that I don't need God. Who needs God? I can live my life independent of God, and I'm going to do okay. If I just work hard enough, if I just strive hard enough, if I just push myself, you know what? If I just can, you know, we hear that today. If you can dream it, you can achieve it. And so these people had in their mind, you know what? If I just put my a little self-will in this thing, I can accomplish what I want to get done. I don't need God's help. And James is like, that boasting is arrogance, and it's sinful. But let's, just, but let's just be real. Don't we do the same things? We put our trust in things like our intelligence, our innovation, our creativity, our wealth. We put, it, we, we, we put it in our technology. Why do we need God for anything? 
Because if we just work hard enough, we have the tools. It's kind of like the $6 million man. We can rebuild it. We have the technology. And so some of you have no idea what I just said there. That was actually not even my notes. I just thought it sounded good because I loved the $6 million man growing up. I, I, I go bad. And so anyway, but we think because we have so much today, what do I really need God for? If I just try hard enough, if I just push myself, I mean, I've got, I've got the money, I've got technology, I've got the drive, I can get what I want, and I don't need God for it. You see, James is sitting there saying, don't be boasting about it. Don't be arrogant enough to think that you don't need God. Because your plans can change at any moment. And it doesn't matter. And I, I, I can't remember when I said this. There are things in our life that happen that it doesn't matter how much money you have. It's not changing it. It, it doesn't matter how smart and intelligent you are, how much education you have. It's not changing it. There are times in our life the only thing that I have to anchor myself to is God. And say, God, I don't understand what is happening here. I don't like it. God, I, I, but I, I'm trusting your will is being done here. But James is saying when you and I come to a place where we can say, I don't need God, it leads to the next thing, which is in verse 17. He says, whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him, it is sin. Now, this sin, or this sin, this verse, I believe it applies generally and then specifically. Generally is this. When you and I, as a believer in Christ, when you know the right thing to do and you don't do it, it is a sin of omission, okay? There is sin of commission where we know that God says don't do certain things and we just do them. Like he says, do not be yoked as a, with unbelievers. So basically he says, as a believer, you are not to marry unbelievers. But if I'm a believer and I go, well, you know what? I really like this person. I, I, I want to be with them. And I do it. That is sin. It's a sin of commission. But sins of omission are just as, deple as de depleasing, displeasing to God as sins of commission. Because the sin of omission is this. The Bible tells us that we are to use our gifts to serve. But if I don't, if I say, you know what, I don't need to serve. It's sin. Because God's telling you to do something and you're not doing it. If I know I am to be a witness and I never share my faith with anybody, never invite anybody to church. It's sin. If I know I am to be gentle and meek and, and, and let only words that are going to build people up, and I don't do that, it's sin. I, the Bible tells us that we are to be patient. That's a fun one, Jim. Why'd you have to go there? Guess what happens when I refuse to be patient? It is sin. You see, when I know the good to do, I see it. This is what the Bible tells me to do. I know I'm supposed to do that, but I am not going to do it. It is sin. 
But specifically, here in the context of what we're going on, James is saying, listen, if you know that the good is to live in accordance to the will of God and to pray and to say, God, your will be done, and you don't do that, it is sin. Why? Because you are arrogant enough to believe, I don't need God. I can do this on my own. I, I put, it is about the boastfulness of life. It is about selfishness. It's about saying, I trust in self more than I trust in God. And when I say, I don't need to live in accordance to God's will, I am placing myself above God. That becomes an idol. And that is sin. And the only place for you and I to come to is to go back to what James says in chapter 4, verse 10. Humble yourselves before the Lord. That's literally where you and I need to live 24-7. Humbled before the Lord. To acknowledge, God, this is your gig. It's not mine. Everything in my life is because of you. Everything I have, the breath in my lungs, God, is from you. Because listen, the book of Ecclesiastes makes it very clear that when you and I die, you're taking nothing with you. You came naked into this world, meaning not just bare naked, but nothing. You had nothing coming into this world. And guess what you're taking out of it? Nothing. Naked you came, naked you leave. And everything you have is going to be left behind. You see, the greatest, one of the greatest illusions that the enemy has set up for you and me is that you're in control. You, you've really got it covered. You really don't need God. I mean, look at how smart you are. Look at how brilliant you are. Look at how wise you are. Man, what do you really need God for? And we buy into that. We're like a big bass sucking on a rubber worm. And we're going to hit that thing every single time. And we can become so arrogant thinking, I don't need God. You know, so many of these messages over the past few weeks have come back to this one single thing. Humility. Loved ones, you and I have got to learn that we need to live surrendered to God. You and I need to learn to live with hands holding very loose to the things in my life. I hold very loose to my plans. I hold very loose to my money. I hold very loose to my health. I hold very loose to my family because it's all God's to begin with. And any time he wants to make a choice or make a change, make a turn, make it whatever, I have to be willing to humble myself and say, God, your will, not mine. And maybe that's where you need to be this morning. Maybe you're struggling with that. As I've preached over these past few weeks, maybe you have been struggling with pride, struggling with humbling yourself before the Lord. And maybe this is a big one for some of you in here. Maybe some of you watching online, you just cannot come to the place to release your plans to the Lord because you think you're in control of them. 
And the harder you hold on to them, the more white-knuckled you become, the harder it is for you to submit to God and to surrender them. The best place to live your life, open hand, to realize, God, it's not mine. Everything you've given me, I'm just a steward of it, God. And anytime you want to change it, anytime you want to remove it, anytime, God, your will be done. Amen? Amen. Let's all stand and get ready to close.